Chapter 8 of Molly the Drummer Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Molly the Drummer Boy by Harriet Teresa Comstock. Chapter 8 Another Message for Debbie. He was alone. The others had departed. Washington had said that at break of day they might rejoin the army. The sun was streaking the sky, and a chillier air stirred the bare trees. Robert knew in what direction the army had gone, and after eating the dry rations left over from his evening meal, he hung his drum around his neck and staggered away. His head ached dully, and his body was stiff and sore, but he must not be found in the deserted camp. That would mean certain death. He laughed weakly, certain death. If he could only be sure of that, he would not fear so greatly. But suppose he was only wounded and carried away a prisoner? Ah, God, that he could not stand. He pressed his hand against the pistol in his pocket. It was safe. And his gun? Yes, it was loaded and in order. Sick and exhausted as he was, he must make a break for safety. See, the sun shone among the trees. Was it too late? A new strength came to him with the horror of the thought, and he bounded into the shadow and made for the direction the army had taken. On and on he ran, hearing as he went the movement and stir of a distant body of men. It was the enemy awakening to the daily duties, and the lines would soon be pushing forward. Robert's brain reeled, and in coming to a crossroad he paused to consider his course. There was a certain rock to guide him, but in his bewilderment and dazed condition he could not find it, and so took the wrong road. Who goes there? The voice drove the blood from Shirtless Heart. After all this time, there in the lonely Jersey woods, he was to meet again the boy who had shot him and killed old Mason in New England. Tis I, he faltered as the oncomer bore down upon him. You? Morley dropped the gun he had leveled at the foe and gazed in amazement at the face so wondrously like his own. You, here? My God, are you a ghost to haunt me so? What do you want? I want to get back to my people. Back to your people, you rebel fool. Morley laughed the old scornful laugh. Your people are behind you. You are running away from them, my brave lad. But it little matters. We have them tied and safe. Come along with me. Your people will join you later. If I go, Robert's voice rang clear, you will have to carry me dead. When we went before, I was unarmed. Like a coward, you shot at me and killed an innocent man. I am prepared now. Let us fight, honestly. Honestly? Morley sneered. Much you know of honor. I trusted you once, and a nice trick you played me. I trusted the old fellow I shot. I put him on sentry duty, but he got drunk, the knave, while I turned my back. A fine lot you are, confound you. Again, I ask you, will you fight? Shirtliff straightened himself. Time was passing. He would have given anything in his power to have solved the mystery of the identity of the boy before him. But what had he to give? His life. There was no time to ask or answer questions now. It was his life or the young Englishman's. He must protect himself and report to Washington, if it were possible. He was young, and with all the misery, life was sweet. Fight with you? Again the maddening laughed. Fight a traitor? Surrender, or I promise you my aim will be truer this time. 
Morley raised his gun, but Robert was as quick, and the two weapons pointed at the same instant. A flash, a sharp report, and then silence. When Shirtliff came to himself, he was lying on his side across a fallen log. A dull pain throbbed in his left shoulder. He put up his right hand and felt that his coat was soaked with blood. The dampness and the pain made him faint, and again he lost consciousness. After a moment, though, the chill air revived him, and he sat up. He would not touch the damp coat or think any more than was possible of the wound, and perhaps he might get on to Washington. That was his first connected thought. Then he remembered Morley. Where was he? Gone, perhaps, thinking he had at last killed his enemy. Well, the enemy was not dead. There might be time for another meeting and an explanation. In the meantime, he, the boy Washington had trusted, must try to gain the American ranks and claim his reward. He arose, swayed, but gradually grew less giddy. He was young, and hope was stronger than his wound. Another effort, and this time he stood upright. How lonely it was! The bleak wind swept among the gaunt trees, making them moan and creak. If he should die there, who would ever bear the word to General Washington that he had faithfully performed his duty? No, he must live and get away from that fearsome place. The stillness was driving him mad. Help! For God's sake, help! It was not the wind moaning. Shirtliff started. Again came the cry, Help! Help! Someone needed aid. He must find him and do what he could. Stumbling forward, he reached a clump of leafless bushes, and there, lying at full length where he had crawled after he was wounded, lay Morley. Forgetting all but his pity for the dying boy, Robert knelt beside his late foe. He knew death when he saw it now, and in gentle patience he smoothed the curly hair from the clammy brow and waited for the last words. There was always something to be said. "'I thought you were dead that time,' Morley gasped the words, then gave a groan. "'Can I trust you with a message?' "'Yes. Well, since there is no one else, I must for—' "'I'm done for,' Robert shuddered.' Write to Mrs. Deborah Morley, Fountain Terrace, London. Can you remember? Yes, yes. My mother, tell her I died like a soldier, like father. Shirtliff shook his head to free his eyes of the blinding tears. Tell her, the voice was but a whisper now, that I did not find Debbie Mason, and if, here the boy rallied and made a last effort, if you ever go near Plymouth, find a girl named Deborah mason and say that by going or writing to my mother all will be forgiven you hear me yes i hear the tears could no longer be shaken away where are you the groping hands found and clung to robert's and the boyish mouth smiled as sweetly as if the dearest face on earth were bending over him good-bye he whispered you won't forget anything and i can trust you you may indeed. Shirtliff bent and kissed the cold face as tenderly as a woman might have done. Reverently, he clasped the slim hands over the still breast and closed the lids upon the smiling eyes. In the future, he was to tell a heartbroken mother in England of how her boy died, and he thanked God for that smile. 
Under the wintry sun, Morley lay sleeping, and beside him sat Robert, lost in dazed thought. There were two messages now for Debbie Mason, and there was a report to make to General Washington. He must be up and doing. But still, he sat there with his eyes fastened on the young face, smiling so placidly in its unbroken sleep. End of chapter 8